Well, today is uh, indeed uh, a momentous occasion because after a full nine months and a whopping 32 sermons, finally, uh, we're coming to the end of our series in the book of Acts. So uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, sorry, you've missed it. Uh, this is the, the last one uh, in the series. Next week, sneak preview, uh, we're going to be launching out into a, a series in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Uh, anyone read the book of Judges? Uh, a bit of challenge in there, so we're going to have fun together. But this week, we're finishing off our series in the book of Acts. If you remember, uh, the story begins with Jesus commissioning his followers to take the good news of the gospel right to the very ends of the earth. But before going, they were told to wait for a little while in Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2, which describes in great detail how the Holy Spirit came on them like a mighty rushing wind. Just to say, I don't think this was some kind of cool, refreshing breeze that kind of blew on their faces and filled them with sentimental, warm, fuzzy religious vibes that made them just love everyone a little bit more. Might have been a bit of that, but I kind of imagine it like this torrential wind that propelled them out effectively to the very ends of the earth with the gospel. And what follows through the book of Acts is this story of how this happens in practice through a whole host of different people until the book finally closes with the Apostle Paul fulfilling his own personal dream of getting the good news about Jesus into Rome, which incidentally was some 2,997 miles from where the Spirit first fell on the church in the upper room at the beginning of the story. And so that's how the book of Acts ends, if you can call it an ending. Because as I want to show you in the time it remains today, it doesn't really end. And that's because you and I, in many respects, are still writing the story. It's like the story goes on in and through us. So this thing doesn't stop with Paul it's never just been about Paul and his ambitions and his dreams, but what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through the church until the end of time. Or to make it a little more personal to you, what he wants to do in and through you in the part of the world where he has intentionally placed you. Let's quickly look at these final few verses of Acts. Then I want to stand back and show you a couple of things that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see about our lives as we continue this journey that Paul and the Apostles started 2,000 years ago. Here's how Luke ends the story. Chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. By way of context, if you recall, Paul is under constant guard house arrest, unable to move freely, awaiting trial. What happens next? Well, for the next two years, we read, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. The end. Now that's all well and good. But we know, don't we? He's in Rome awaiting trial. What happens? Is he released? Luke doesn't think to tell us. We do know that the letter Paul wrote to the the church in Rome indicates he did hope one day to go from Rome into Spain to be the first one ever to preach Christ there. Does he make it? Acts doesn't tell us. It very much ends on a cliffhanger. Now, I don't know about you. Personally, I hate cliffhangers. 
which is why if a new series starts up, I'll record every single episode and then binge watch the whole lot in one go. I hate cliffhangers. And so the book of Acts ends, the way it ends is completely unsatisfactory for me. And do you realize why Luke chooses to end it that way? Well, I'm told what happens to Paul in his dreams because I think ultimately it's not all about Paul or his dreams. It's about the work of the Spirit and the life of the church to get the good news about Jesus to the very ends of the earth. By the way, we do know from history that Paul was eventually released, did make it to Spain, but was then rearrested and beheaded by Nero. Now, why not record all of that in Acts? Well, I think it's perhaps Luke's way of saying to the Neros of the world, look, you can kill, you can imprison Paul, but you cannot stop the relentless spread of the gospel. Even if you carve his head, the gospel will go on multiplying. Paul might be dead, but the Holy Spirit remains, and his work cannot and will not be snuffed out. Do you want to know what one of the main messages of the book of Acts is? It's simply this, the gospel is alive and active. The gospel cannot be stopped The gospel will always find a way. I mean, you can throw Christians in prisons, you can kill its preachers, just don't take that as a hint, you can kill its preachers in an attempt to silence or muzzle it, you throw up all kinds of barriers and obstacles, but it doesn't matter, the gospel will always find a way through. It's like the single most powerful and vital force on the face of the earth. It has broken through everything up until now, and continues to do so all around the world today. So here we are, in Birmingham, 2,000 years since this story started. I don't know how you came to be here. Maybe some of you were born here, genuine Brummies. Perhaps some of you moved here for work or for uni. I feel like you're here a bit by accident, really, or you never actually wanted to be here. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you've been put in Birmingham for a very special time. Because like Rome back in Paul's day, Birmingham is an extremely strategic city. It's the UK's second largest city. Staggering 4.3 million people live within an hour of the city centre. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the UK. Birmingham grows met by over 200 people every week. It's also, I don't know if you realise this, the youngest city in Europe. 38% of the population of this city are under the age of 25, youngest city in Europe. And 57% of our population under the age of 11 are from ethnic minorities, which perhaps explains why Birmingham will be a white minority city within five years. In fact, a quarter of our city were born outside the UK, 25% of the population of our city born outside the UK. And right now, 19% of the population of Birmingham are Pakistani Muslims. That's an increase of 6% over the last decade. So we can kind of process all of those facts and figures. We can perhaps see the future direction of our city. And in the midst of all of that, less than 6% of the population of Birmingham ever attend a church of any kind, ever. And we as a church believe 
that God has placed us here to make the gospel famous. We want to be for the good of our city and to that end are believing for the day when Jesus will be the most talked about person in Birmingham. And so, although it's tough and there are challenges and though all the statistics might appear to be against us, nonetheless we refuse to throw in the towel when the going gets tough. We're certainly not going to play it safe and kind of water down our vision a bit and make it slightly smaller or more accessible because we're convinced that the same torrential wind of the Spirit that we see filling the church in Acts and scattering them eventually to the very ends of the earth, that same powerful Spirit of God wants to blow through us and through our city. Now here's my question. If you today saw yourself sent to the people around you with the gospel, and if you were full of the same spirit who so dramatically filled those first believers at Pentecost, what, if anything, would you do differently? How would you choose to live? Because the reality is, you are every bit of sense as the heroes of the book of Acts. They were sent for a particular people at a particular time to do certain things, but you are just as sent today. And the same Holy Spirit who so dramatically empowered them is available to you, is as available to you today as he was to those first believers. And so right at the end of this series, I want to leave you just with a, a few pointers to help you intentionally apply this. I play the part that I believe God has for you to play in this unfolding story. So here we go. First of all, I want to urge all of you to seize opportunities. Every opportunity that God has put in front of you, I want to plead with you, lay hold of it with both hands. I think we could easily gloss over this, but I don't want you to miss how incredible those last two verses in Acts really are. I mean, Paul's life is on the line. As far as he's aware, he could have just a matter of months to live. So what does he do? Well, he could have been tempted just to give up. Could have assumed that maybe somewhere along the way he'd got it ever so slightly wrong. Could have assumed that God was against him. I mean, you could imagine, couldn't you, being angry with God, a bit resentful, a bit bitter. Imagine just kind of wallowing in self-pity. I mean, woe is me. Don't do any of that. Instead of that, he thinks, hey, look, I've been given this opportunity to proclaim Jesus to a whole bunch of new people, starting with the guards who are keeping me in my house and everyone else who comes to my house to speak to me, whole new audience to speak about Jesus. Now, be honest. Is that how you see your life? Do you think about your current situation? Do you primarily see the problems or the opportunity? I don't know, maybe some of you feel like you're in a bit of a prison right now. You know, today God wants to open the doors of your imagination to see what's possible. That's part of Toby's encouragement to us. And I'm on the, on the blocks, ready to go. Today, God wants to spark your imagination in terms of what lies ahead for you. 
even now. I believe he wants to come with a fresh sense of faith for you in the situation you're in. Whatever it is, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're in a season where you're a stay-at-home mum. Whatever's your season, whatever your situation, God wants to come with faith for you where he has placed you. Any students here? Well, I know there are. You're wearing the T-shirts, but just trying to wake you up and engage you. Any students here? Yeah, a few. Two. <laughs> sure there are more than that. Do you realize that you are in the single greatest unreached mission field in the UK? You are. What if God's purpose isn't only for you to get good grades, hopefully, and set yourself up for a good job, maybe, well, you should try all of that. But it's not just that. It's also to bring others to know Jesus on your campus. Maybe God has a strategic purpose for the three, four, five, eight years that you're going to be in this stage of life. Receive faith from God right now. And that picture from Toby, kind of pumping heart, anticipation, is partly this. You know, Paul saw whatever situation he was in, whether advantageous to him or not, didn't really matter. It was still a platform from which to proclaim Jesus to others. So it didn't matter if he was in court on trial or in prison, being lynched by a mob, being shipwrecked and left in the open sea or being bitten by a deadly snake. Whatever the situation he found himself in, nothing could stop him speaking to others about Jesus. And I simply want to ask you to reflect for yourself on whether you're making the most of the platforms that God has given you. What would it look like for you to seize the opportunities that God has placed in front of you right now? That's the first thing, seize the opportunities. Second encouragement, won't you step out in faith? that's going to look like different things for different ones of you. But I want all of you, in some way, to be actively stepping out in faith. I mean, from beginning to end, really, that's been one of the key lessons of the whole book of Acts. Whether it's Peter stepping up to preach famously on the day of Pentecost, or Stephen addressing the Sanhedrin, or Philip jogging up to the Ethiopian eunuch, or just ordinary members of the church simply taking the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The gospel spread through people choosing intentionally to take individual steps of faith. Now, this is important. I want you to see that being sent isn't just for the so-called professional Christians or the staff members of the church or those who have been Christians for decades. And more often than not, the gospel goes into new areas first through regular people, people like you. Which is why earlier on in Acts 28, when Paul first arrives in Rome, we read that he's greeted by brothers and sisters who got there before he did. These were probably business people, soldiers perhaps, who had landed there, already started talking with people about Jesus, seeing people come to faith. They'd established a church before Paul even got there. Paul simply came to confirm their work and multiply it as best he could. So I'm trying to show you already, some of you have jobs, 
that will enable you to, to reach a whole group of people that perhaps no one else in the room could ever get to. Others of you, you're studying for qualifications that will open doors into different nations where others would never be able to go. So receive faith now for what you're doing and where God has placed you and receive faith for where he wants to take you. Back in the first century, the gospel spread through ordinary people taking individual steps of faith. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do, to, you to do today. Because if we're to take advantage of the tremendous opportunity that I believe God has placed in front of us, it's going to require all of us to step up a bit, to step out of our comfort zone and take some risks. Now, in reality, there are any number of different ways to do this, and I'm not going to spend too long on this, but just in case you think, well, what's it mean for me? I'm just not quite sure. I'm going to give you a range of examples of how this might land for you. You don't have to do all of it, although you can if you want to, but I just want to give you some ideas of where you could step out in faith. Number one, and maybe this is for all of us, why don't you step out in faith in your inviting? We've got a whole host of things coming up over the next few months that really are aimed at serving you in sharing your faith with your friends. Whether it's the Christmas carol service, which is fast advancing, fast approaching. Got a comedy night lined up uh, in November. Uh, We're hoping to to do an alpha course this term with international students. Or as Rich said, we've got the big question Sundays, first Sunday of every month throughout this term and probably through next year as well. But these things will only work if you step out in faith and invite a bunch of people along. So I want you to invite your neighbours, your flatmates, your work colleagues, your course mates, your family members, complete utter random strangers, invite them along as well. Even if you think they'll never come, there's no chance they'll ever come, invite them anyway. Why? Well, it'll do at least two things. First of all, it'll grow your face. And secondly, it will give an opportunity for the Spirit of God to work in other people's lives. I want you just to dream with me for a moment. What would it look like if each person in this room right now was simply to pray, God, would you use me to do something incredible where you've placed me? Because it's not all down to me, it's not about me, but it's all about the power of the Spirit. And I believe he is actively at work seeking and saving the lost. So would you use me where you have placed me to reach the people that you are currently working in? God, wherever you prompt me to open my mouth to speak of you, would you empower me by your spirit and flood through the people I'm speaking to? Father, would you show me who is it you want me to reach out to and invite. Just imagine what it would be like if each of us reached just one other person with the good news about Jesus this year. That's what Rich encouraged us to do. I want to underline that. In fact, let's take this even further. Why limit it to one? And let's believe for more. Yesterday was an emotional day in the Bell household as we dropped our eldest son Nathan off at university. Um, I feel old enough to be quite honest 
<laughs> this is where you're supposed to say, you, you're not old enough, but yeah. As we dropped him off and left him there, I began reminiscing of what it was like when I was dropped off a few years back now at university myself. And I remembered how me and a friend, we'd get up early in the morning, not, not every day, I'm not quite that spiritual, but several days a week we'd get up early and we'd pray together for God to send revival to our hall of residence. You know what? By the end of that first year, there were over 100 Christians in our hall out of 350 people. The first term at university, I had the joy of leading my friend Diane to know Jesus. Second term, my friend Roger became a Christian. Third term, my friend Dave became a Christian. In each case, it's because I stepped out in faith to invite them to something. Invited a load of other people. They didn't become Christians, but three of my friends did. And that was multiplied through our hall of residence. As other people stepped out in courage, invited friends along. By the end of the first year, over a hundred knowing Jesus and our hall of residence. Maybe that's what Toby was sensing earlier on when he stood up and encouraged us. Heart pumping. What's God going to do? What's he want to do? I tell you, if God could do that then, he could certainly do that now. And if God could do that through me, he could absolutely do it through you. So I want you to step out in faith in your inviting. Can you do that? Secondly, step out in faith in your volunteering. This term, I want many of you to start giving back to those areas that have been giving to you. You know, people in this church, hopefully, have been a real blessing to you. And no pressure, but it's time for many of you to step up and be a blessing to others. There's so many opportunities. We're blessed in terms of musicians we have in the church. There's, there's always room to bring others through. If you're musical, we'd love to have you on board. Those involved with setting the thing up every Sunday, clearing down at the end. Those doing the PA and the projection, uh, our youth work, serving refreshments, working with senior citizens. We, we run something called Christians Against Poverty, opportunity to serve befriending in the city through that, have a work with refugees might just simply be opening up your house or your flat and showing hospitality to others. Like I say, there are so many different opportunities to serve. Let me just flag up one particular area, our kids' ministry. Just to say, we don't babysit children here. It's not like, well, they make a lot of noise, so we just kind of shunt them out, out of sight, out of mind, and just occupy them. That's not what we're about. We We don't babysit the children. We're trying to lay foundations that go so deep that they last a lifetime. And even more than that, we want to catch our children up with the vision of the church to, for themselves, be for the good of our city, themselves to have faith, to see Jesus, the most talked about person in their part of Birmingham, to impact other nations eventually with the good news about Jesus. We want our children to be huge contributors to this. You know, If our students are on the single greatest unreached mission field in the UK, our kids' ministry is very much the tip of the spear for the most accessible, vital mission field in this city. Because where our children go, eventually there goes our city. 
And perhaps God wants to use you in this area. Regardless of whether you have kids of your own, you can still get involved. That is allowed. We'll, we'll, we'll let you in, probably. Now, whether it's kids' work, maybe it's something different. I want all of you, really all of you, to step out in faith in your volunteering. To step out from just being a consumer to being a disciple who grows through serving. And to help you, because I want to help you, we've got a load of these forms to help you get involved. And there's a pile of them on the table over there, enough for all of you. If you don't serve in some way, and I know many of you do, and thank you, we're so grateful for the way you serve us and bless us. We'd love to bring other people on board, playing their part. And even if you're just new here for the first time today, you can still fill one of these out in terms of uh, where you'd like to get involved, what you're interested in. Uh, You'd have to commit. You might just start the conversation with us. We'd love it if you could fill out one of those. Give it to uh, one of the guys in the red T-shirts who will then faithfully pass it on to me, uh, and we'll perhaps get in touch with you over the next few weeks about that. I'd love all of you to step out in faith in your volunteering. Thirdly, step out in faith in your generosity. In my mind, one of the most inspiring sections of the book of Acts is those opening chapters that describe the way the first believers were generous to one another. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 4, we're told that all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And wouldn't you just love to be part of a community, part of a church like that? I mean, it'd certainly be challenging, but just imagine how great it'd be to be part of such a generous community. And the good news is you can be. Here's all you need to do. Simply ask God what he's entrusted to you that he wants you to use to help further advance the spread of the gospel. Simply ask God, what's he given to you that you can be generous with? And then would you step out in faith in obedience to him? I'll tell you, it absolutely thrills me how many of you have radically sought to do this already just these last few months? I love the fact that this is already such a generous, generous church. I mean, get this. Beginning of June, some of you are around for it. But we shared one of the financial challenges we had as a church. We were facing uh, a budget deficit for this financial year of £130,000, which uh, in anyone's terms is a lot of money. And we had no idea where that money was going to come from. But we shared the need. And in the last three and a half months, interested to know how much money's come in? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, even if you're not interested. I can warm up, warm up. In the last three and a half months, over and above the normal, ordinary giving that people faithfully give, £74,000 has been given, with gift aid to come on top of that that's going to push it through £100,000. Yes, absolutely. Over £100,000 on top of people's normal giving. I'll tell you, God is doing something stunning among us. And I'm aware in, in this group of people, there aren't many landowners or people who can sell their property and lay it at the feet of the leaders of the church. But that figure was reached 
there are a whole bunch of people getting involved. Some of our kids were, were giving a few pence, a few pounds. Some people who are out of work were, were giving a pound or two. A few people gave a bit more than that. It's as together we seek God and ask, what do you want us to do? He's doing something extraordinary among us, and it's right to celebrate that. Now look, if right now you aren't currently giving to this church or any other church, or if you're not really giving with faith, if it's not stretching you, if it's not really an obedience thing, it's more a kind of obligation thing, I believe there's a whole new adventure that God wants you to go on with him. I love it when I hear stories of people who gave in faith and the joy they have as they speak about how God provided for them in some way. And I know in this room, there probably isn't a whole lot of money, but it starts when you haven't got much. It's a heart thing. Out of what God has entrusted to me, how can I obey him? Maybe it's a pound, maybe it's five pounds, maybe it's ten pounds. What does it mean for you to obey him and step out in faith? On all of you to step out of faith in your generosity. Fourthly, there are only five points, so nearly done. Fourthly, okay, I'm trying to help you. What does it mean to step out in faith? This gets really practical. Fourthly, step out in faith in your praying. Let's have a listen to this tremendous quote from a guy called Oswald Chambers, which I think challenges our whole view of prayer. He says, we tend to use prayer very often as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. But God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. We certainly see this mentality illustrated pretty graphically again and again as the story of the church unfolds through Acts. Listen, when people start with prayer, that's when extraordinary things tend to happen. For example, Acts 1 and 2. We see 120 believers meeting in an upper room and praying. The Spirit falls on them. The gospel goes out. 3,000 people baptized and added to the church in a single day. Acts 3 and 4, we see Peter and John, they're heading to a prayer meeting. On the way, they get slightly distracted, preach a message, uh, tell other people about Jesus. Another 5,000 people saved and added into the church on the way to a prayer meeting. They prayed again with the church after they were threatened by the Jews and told not to preach about Jesus anymore. Their prayer caused a literal earthquake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with renewed boldness. Acts chapter 12, Peter was arrested for ignoring the ongoing threats, continued to preach the gospel. The church prayed fervently for him. He was miraculously released from prison. A few examples, many more. You can see it again and again and again. Prayer really does work. Prayer does something. Prayer changes stuff. So I want you to pray for that person at school or on your course or in your place of work or where you live. That person you think would never darken the doors of the church. Pray for them regularly. Pray for them daily. Parents, a few of you in the room, pray bold prayers for your kids that God would raise up this next generation. Our kids would have such strong faith of their own, they wouldn't leave church after they leave home. I feel like a long way off for some of you. It comes soon. It comes quickly. Not only that, pray that your kids will play their part alongside others in calling our nation back to Christ. 
and finishing the Great Commission around the world. Pray big prayers for your kids. If you don't have kids, pray for the kids around you, the kids that you see in the church. And why don't you pray for the people we meet every week through different activities we run as a church. This last week, uh, through our Christians Against Poverty Centre, uh, a journalist from The Guardian travelled up from London just to meet Carol in our 9.30 meeting and interview her. The story is going out in The Guardian this next week. Uh, pray for our work with senior citizens. This afternoon, time for tea, something we do a couple of times a term. There'll be in the region of 40 senior citizens from around the city gathering for afternoon tea and to hear about Jesus. Pray for that work. Our toddler group, our Emerge Youth Work, our Hope English Club. Heard this week, just tonning up the numbers, we started the English Club uh, back in May. Since we opened the doors for the first time, 60 different people have come through the doors. We taught a bit of English. Many of them, they're just here for a short period of time, then being uh, dispersed to other parts of the country. Uh, a number of people are coming regularly now. Pray for that work. Pray with faith individually. Also join us when we pray as a site on the first Sunday evening of every month. Our corporate prayer time is crucially important. You know, one of the greatest tragedies in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. So I want to urge you to step out in faith in your praying. As another author put it, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers are not impossible to you, they're probably insulting to God. Step out in faith in your praying. And then fifthly and finally, all of you, step out in faith for the next chapter. Step out in faith for the next chapter. As I've tried to show you, Acts doesn't end, because in many respects it's still being written. It ends on something of a cliffhanger, because you and I are still writing the next chapters. Paul, he played his part. He succeeded in getting the good news about Jesus into Rome. The question is, will the gospel get to your community and your friends? No, I don't know. Because you're writing that chapter. But the good news is, the same Spirit of God that was blowing in Paul's heart is available to you today. And he is just waiting to write that chapter through you. So would you open your eyes? Open your eyes. Where are the needs around you? And open your heart. Where do you long to see God move? What are you desperate to see him do? For starters, why don't you simply ask God to do that? And then offer yourself as the answer to that prayer. Because Jesus never pulls you in without also propelling you back out again. See, those people who truly encounter the gospel, who truly experience the grace of God that we've been singing about and celebrating already this morning, those people have to talk about it. It can't be that you have tasted the reality of the good news of the gospel, felt its love, understood all of its implications, and are then silent about it. 
if you've understood it and experienced it for yourself, you will be passing it on to your kids, earnestly pleading with your friends, yearning to see it spread to all parts of this city, this nation, ultimately the ends of the earth. It's like you're either trying desperately to spread the message or you've never really understood or experienced the message. And I don't say that to criticize you. I don't say that to condemn anyone. Quite the opposite. I want you to know that this is a safe place to come with your questions and your doubts. This is a great place to explore what it means to know Jesus and live for him in everyday life. This is a great place to come and experience firsthand for yourself the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace and mercy of God. So keep coming, keep receiving, keep growing, and then keep going. Keep going, empowered by the Holy Spirit to write the next chapter where God has placed you.